What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's guest is the one and only Mike Matthews. Mike Matthews is a published, a best-selling published author. He has written Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, Thinner, Leaner, Stronger, Beyond Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, The Shredded Chef, and many others. He has written so many good blogs. He is a content creator. He is the owner and creator of Muscle for Life. He is the owner and creator of Legion Athletics, which is a supplement company that is actually respectable, which is hard to do in that industry because it's saturated and so full of bullshit and scams and and hyped up media marketing, but he is somebody who has brought in the science to the supplement game and actually done it in an ethical way. So it's somebody I really respect for that reason as well. But Mike Matthews is a very successful fitness entrepreneur. And and what I love about this podcast today is that that's what he brings to the show. He brought a real, raw, and respectful approach to all things fitness. So we got into the weeds of muscle hypertrophy and what the science is now showing because he's definitely into the literature and he's studying a lot of things given that he is writing another book. So me and him kind of had some geek talk for a while on muscle hypertrophy. Then we dug into his process of becoming an author. Um, We got into supplements. We got into entrepreneurship. We got into content creation. We got into coaching. We got into what balance is when you are a fitness entrepreneur and and a very successful business owner. We got into so many different topics and I think you guys are going to really enjoy this because again, It was a very real and raw interview with Mike Matthews. In fact, I would go out to say this is probably one of the realest interviews I've ever heard him do. And I think he he mentioned that as well when we got off the air. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this because I think you're going to take away a lot, not only from an education and an information standpoint to just get some more content to help you become a better trainee or trainer, but I think you're also going to get a lot of great perspectives that can help you become successful in whatever endeavor you are personally in. So, guys, if you want to help me grow this show, if you want to help me reach more people, if you want to help us deliver this message, both myself and Mike, do what we do to help people and deliver more content. And you can be a part of that movement by taking a screenshot of your sh- the show right now on your phone. Head over to Instagram, post it on your story, tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Mike Matthews at Muscle for Life, all one word. Let us know who you are. Let us know you're watching the show. Put us on the story and we will respond back to you. We want to talk to you. We want to have a conversation. And most importantly, we want you to help us reach more people because that is exactly how this show grows. And that is exactly how we get this information to more and more people so they can get better results just like you are getting. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's get on to this amazing interview with the one and only Mike Matthews. All right, Mike Matthews, man, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today, um, especially because, like I just mentioned before we got on air, is I've been following you for a long time, and the fact that you started out really being in the, I guess you could call it the writing space. I don't know if that's a, a thing, but writing books, blogging. I'm a, I'm a blogger. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? Like, it's cool because there's not a lot of bloggers out still. And I'm actually going to dig into that too, because a lot of people are, have given up on blogging, but I, in my heart, I love blogging. I love writing. Um, and you've been somebody that started from that and you've built so much from it, man. So I'm really excited to kind of dig into your story. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely, man. So why don't we start by why fitness? Like, Where did it all start? What got you into fitness in the first place? Uh, well, I grew up playing sports. Uh, I got into ice hockey, played a bit of roller hockey as well, but didn't like it as much as I ice hockey. So, um, just, just really kind of went all in on ice hockey. And when I was 17 or so, and I wasn't playing hockey anymore, I wanted to continue doing something with my body. I just spent, I had gotten used to being active and enjoyed it. And really, I mean, I just got into it cause I was 17 and I liked girls and girls like muscles. And I was like, sure, I'll do that. Whatever. Um, 
And, and then I found I actually enjoyed it. So in the beginning, you know, I picked up some bodybuilding magazines, recruited a couple of friends and was like, Hey, let's get like, uh, you know, pecs and biceps and stuff. And, um, and it was something we, we, it just became a routine that we enjoyed. And so, uh, I was pretty consistent with it. Very consistent actually for, I'd say six or seven years, but I never really educated myself. Now, fortunately, I knew that I hadn't educated myself. I knew I was pretty ignorant and it was something that I was doing because I enjoyed it and because even if you are not training optimally or anywhere near optimally, uh, there are still plenty of health benefits and you still are going to be you know, pretty fit by, by normal standards. And uh, I was doing fairly well. And so I was into it. And then eventually I was like, eh, I might as well, uh, you know, I've always been a good student. I'm uh, good at teaching myself things. And I was like, I might as well educate myself and see what I can do. Cause I knew I was doing, I was like, I have to be doing a lot of things wrong because I'm just going with whatever kind of mainstream, uh, whatever was popular, you know, which, which changes every, every year, there's something new that gets, uh, the, the limelight in terms of, you know, how to eat or how to train, how to supplement. And so I started to educate myself on the training side of things. I started with, um, starting strength, I believe, as far as books go and, uh, practical programming. And that was a big change, obviously, because previously I was just doing more very high volume body part split, um, isolation exercises, wasn't squatting really much, wasn't deadlifting at all, um, was doing a lot of bench pressing on the Smith machine, no overhead press, blah, 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 right? Um, and, and, and then from there, I, I kind of found a way into more of the evidence-based space, although it was smaller then. There weren't as many players, as many actors as there as there uh, is now, but yeah. um, on the on the diet side of things, I got turned on to flexible dieting from a he was a he was a bodybuilder and powerlifter, and um, he worked at a at a local kind of like a Whole Foods, a local uh, healthy quote unquote grocery store, mm-hmm. and um, he was prepping for a show, so he was super lean, um, and yeah, you know, and now I, he was on all kinds of drugs. He, he said he wasn't, but I didn't, I didn't know any better at the time. And I was just like, this guy looks ridiculous. So he was the first guy just to say, hey, as far as body composition goes, you really just need to pay attention to calories, energy balance, macronutrients. What you eat doesn't really matter. And of course, I recommend eating nutritious foods, but that's for, that's for health and that's for performance and longevity. Um, and so that was my first. So he's like, Okay, I think I was maybe at that time, let's say I was 16% body fat or something. And so he just gave me some numbers. It was probably like 2,200 calories or something and just broken down to kind of 40, 40, 20 split. He was like, just do this. And uh, at first I, I was just skeptical because you know how it is when you, when you first hear about it's that simple. Come on. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is just do that. And he's like, I don't care what you eat up to you. Just hit those numbers. And I was like, that's all I have to do. And you're saying I can get super lean just doing that. And he's like, yes, trust me. And so I did it. And that's when I got super lean for the first time. And I was like, huh. And, and then from there, I just went into the scientific literature uh, because that is uh, very, very well taped. I mean, you, at this point, you could read, honestly, you probably could read one or two reviews uh, and know more or less everything you need to know uh, as far as how to eat to gain muscle and as little fat as possible to lose fat and not muscle and, um, you know, maintain a a healthy and aesthetic, I guess you could say body composition. 
And you could read up a bit more in terms of the nutritional side of things, but that's also very simple. So that's how I kind of got into it. And I put these things together um, and kind of just made my own, okay, this is how I'm going to train. I wanted to, I wanted to, I liked the the compound weightlifting, but I also wanted to incorporate some isolation work just to add some volume to certain muscle groups that are kind of uh, just stubborn. Um, and you know, we all have those muscle groups. If, if all we do is, is press squat and pull, sure, we can get big and we can get strong. We can look good. But if, um, we're going to nitpick our physiques, there are going to be certain things where we're like, I wish I had a bit more biceps. I wish I had a bit more, you know, uh, deltoids. I wish I had a bit more calves, which I will never have, but that's okay. Um, and then, and then, and then you just, you know, add some, add some volume and, um, and, 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 in most guys and most women have similar, uh, there are, they have similar needs, you know what I mean? Uh, in terms of what muscle groups they're more and less about. And obviously you emphasize those accordingly in, in your training or in your programming without uh, creating something that's so imbalanced that it just causes problems. And uh, so that's how I personally got into fitness and you know, so you can, I'll stop there and then you can ask me where, where do you want me to go from there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, you know what? I, I was going to definitely go the entrepreneur route. Like I told you, I want to dig into that, but I can't just pass this without asking you some muscle questions. Cause I think I have to, since you're on the show. Um, one question I want to ask you too, is because you're like, not to call you an average guy, but you're a natural guy who has a busy life. You have a family and you're still proving that you can be aesthetically impressive without doing steroids or these crazy different things, or even a guy who talks about supplements in a very real way and you own a supplement company, which I really respect. I just want to ask you, how do you, what's your philosophy on training for people? Cause there's, you know, a lot of evidence coming out right now that like more and more volume is better. And it just keeps, seems like the studies keep climbing up higher and higher and higher. You have to do more and more volume. I just kind of want to get your perspective on all that, man. Like, what do you actually use? What do you find effective for people? Um, and how, how much do you prioritize like intensity versus volume, so on and so forth? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, to, to your first point, um, I, I work out, I exercise, I do a bit of cardio I do on the weekends. So I'd say it's a total of, I don't know, six hours a week, five, six hours a week, which, um, is a fair amount, but I'd say most people, and I've worked with thousands of people now, most people can fit anywhere from three to six hours of exercise into their weekly schedules if it's just important enough for them. Mm -hmm. And that's all it takes for the average person, uh, three to six hours of exercise a week with proper uh, dieting, which doesn't mean restricting, uh, doesn't mean following a highly restrictive diet. It doesn't mean avoiding all the foods that you like. It just means eating uh, the right amounts of calories, protein, carbs, fat, and and putting it all together in a plan that fits your goals and fits your preferences and your lifestyle and so forth. Um, so that is really where I'm at right now. I would say mm, five or so years ago uh, when, so I have two kids now at that time, I had one kid and I was just a bit younger and I had a bit less going on in my life. I have multiple, I have a lot, I have more work. It's funny. I guess I was working more or less the same amount, I guess, uh, maybe even a bit more, but maybe it's just because the stakes are higher now and I have more companies and there are more moving pieces where I feel like I myself don't feel stressed by it, but I definitely feel like there's just more of a burden and it takes a, it takes a physiological toll 
um, and my body is a bit more sensitive to other to just stressors in general. And that's yeah. my only explanation for it because I, psychologically, I, I feel like I'm doing fine and I can cope with it fine. But that doesn't. I, I, if only I could uh, will my physiology to just do whatever you know to respond however I want. It doesn't work like that though. Right. So when I was younger, I was uh, I was able to get away with a bit more intensity and volume than now. And that's probably also a factor of age, right? We know that recovery does, uh, we do lose a bit of our ability to recover and bounce back quickly from hard workouts as we get older. Not that it's really a limiting factor in, in the grand scheme of things, but it is what it is. Right. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at personally. And that, that worked well for me. And as far as optimal training, um, it's actually a good, a good time to be asking about this because I'm, I'm researching and writing, uh, I'm updating a, a book that I have called Beyond Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, which is a, a sequel to Bigger, Leaner, Stronger. So Bigger, Leaner, Stronger is intended for, it's intended for newbies, but also people like, who are like me. Maybe, maybe somebody has seven years of weightlifting experience, but has been doing everything wrong for seven years. Uh, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger would be the book for them. And I, I've rewritten and well, first reorganized and rewritten that book from scratch. And I'm releasing that. It's going to be the third edition. I'm releasing that. Uh, it's supposed to be, it should be in February. I've been having all problems with um, book designers, freelance book designers. I, they're the ones that I've been working with are just awful. Like so bad. It's actually weird. Like that. How do you even, why are you even, why do you even bother with this? Like, how do you sleep at night? This is how you make your living. Just straight fucking people, <laughs> scamming, scamming people. That, that's what you do. Okay. Anyway, so um, the, the third edition of Bigger, Leaner, Stronger is going to be out in February. Um, the print is already done and we're, you know, that'll be transitioning over in February. And I'm waiting on, on EPUBs basically. So uh, audiobook is done. I recorded that. I also have a book for women, the equivalent for women that is also reorganized and rewritten. It's called Thinner, Leaner, Stronger. So that, that, that covers, um, I mean, it's just, it's all in. It gives everything that it's the ultimate book that I wish somebody would have just given me when I started. And it'd be the ultimate book for the female version of me that if somebody could, Hey, just do this. If you want to save yourself a lot of time, a lot of frustration and really reach probably 70, 80% of your genetic potential in the next three to five years, just do this. Um, the beyond bigger, leaner, stronger book that is going to be intended for, and I have a first edition out there that I like, but I now have a lot more knowledge, a lot more experience working with people, a lot more writing experience. I'm a better writer. So I think it's time to redo it, which I'm doing that. And so that's going to be diving more into this question of uh, what is, if you really are trying to optimize your training and also though, to what end, you know, I, I just wrapped up writing. I mean, it turned out to be absurd. Actually, it's like 13,000 words, an article on uh, natural, how much muscle can you gain naturally? And I have an article on that already on Muscle for Life. I wrote it for Legion's blog and um, I wanted to have even more information. So the Legion version is like twice as long as the Muscle for Life one. And I talk a lot about um, not just how much muscle can you gain naturally, but also how to spot steroid use and really dive deep into the whole FFMI discussion. Um, and I think make a very strong case for anyone whose FFMI is 24 or higher is guilty until proven innocent. Anyone 25 and up is almost always on drugs. Always. If they're relatively lean end of story on, I mean, I'm talking about normalized FFMI. Right. Uh, it, that's just what 
anyways, that's, <laughs> that's what it comes down to. So, so for people listening who are maybe familiar with my physique, uh, my FFMI, my normalized is 23 and a little bit over 23. And when I have uh, some calculators and some different methods in this article for predicting how much muscle uh, you, can, you can gain naturally, and according to, you know, and that, that, that also includes measuring wrists and ankles, right? Uh, Casey Butts formula, which is, uh, I think, a very accurate way to, and a very evidence-based way to calculate that or estimate it. According to, to Casey Butts, Alan Aragon's, Martin Burkans, and Lyle McDonald's models, when you look at a ball, I could gain maybe five to eight more pounds of muscle if I really tried. And I think that feels about right. I, I do. Um, I think it would take years. I mean, I'm, I'd be looking at probably two, maybe two pounds of muscle gain a year, and I'd have to spend a lot of that time in a surplus and so forth. And the reason why I'm talking about this is it's... It can be fun to kind of nerd out on, on training variables or like, like volume and, and really, really trying to optimize your programming based on the latest and greatest research and the latest and greatest interpretations of that research from people whose work I really respect, like Greg Knuckles and Eric Helms, Mike Sordos, and so mm -hmm. forth. And I think that's cool. And I think it has its place, but it really is not applicable to the average person who just wants to be in shape. And for a couple of reasons, one is again, you could just stick to the basics of heavy compound lifting, double progression, make sure you deload uh, every so often, make sure you know what you're doing with your diet and you are going to achieve 70 to 80% of your genetic potential. And for, for the average guy, what that comes down to is he can probably gain about 45 pounds, give or take a few um, in his lifetime period. That's it. That's what's available. And we know that through just again, the fundamentals If someone just did something like starting strength for a few years, you're going to get most of that really. Um, so for the, for the people who are out there though, who are want to take it beyond the average because the average aspiration, uh, and, and I almost fall into that boat too, is, um, maybe I'm a, maybe I, I, that's okay. I want to be a bit above average, but the average aspiration, and I know this just speaking with and dealing and, and working with so many people over the years, I'd say the average guy wants to gain somewhere between, let's say around 25 pounds of muscle in the right places on his body and uh, have a body fat percentage around 10%. The average dude is, is really excited. Like that, that's pretty ideal, right? That's yeah. kind of the Hollywood look. Um, and for women, it's probably 10 or 15 pounds in the right places and about 20% body fat. Most women are very happy with that. They look lean, athletic. They still have curves. They have a butt. They have legs. They have lines. They have definition in their arms and so forth. And for that, you don't need to go any further than the fundamentals. You really don't. However, if you want to go a lot, let's say you can get a bit further, I think, than that with just the fundamentals. But if you just like the game of getting, let's say you're a dude and you want to get as big and strong as possible, then yes, it does make sense to go a bit beyond the fundamentals and a bit beyond something as simple as either a linear progression type program or just a double progression like my programs and, and dive more into the weeds of volume uh, and, and to that point of really, I like how Knuckle, Greg Knuckles in particular kind of breaks it down and is one, I like that he simplifies volume in terms of hard sets yeah. uh, versus number of hard reps or, or calculating the total load, amount, amount of weight moved. And really what it comes down to is, and this is kind of what I'm diving into in this new book, is it's a chapter called the more for less method. At least that's what it's called right now, is if you want to, as an intermediate 
uh, weightlifter, male or female, let's say someone who has two to three years of solid weightlifting. Well, I, some people might say after one year of solid weightlifting, that's probably actually where your intermediate phase begins. And after three or four, you're probably going to be considered an advanced weightlifter, at least by most strength standards and by your body composition. Yeah, it, what it comes down to is you have to make your training harder and harder over time. And there are different ways to do that. Like you are going to have to work a lot to get those last five pounds of muscle infinitely harder than it, than it took to, to gain those first five pounds or even the second or third five pounds. And increasing volume is a reliable way to make your training harder on your body, of course. And so, but you also, you can also play with intensity uh, to, to make your training harder. You can also change exercises to make your training harder. And you have to also, I was just actually going over some research yesterday. One thing you have to also remember is that training volume is also associated with injury more than load. So more injuries occur because people go crazy with their volume and it gets out of control than trying to lift too heavy weights. Um, so that's also something you have to keep in mind. But my position generally is for the average person, they don't need to even list, they don't need to get into any of that stuff. They can just focus really on the fundamentals. And then for the more immediate, intermediate, advanced person, yes, it does make sense to in your programming to be using whether it's an app or like a Google sheet or something, you really do need to ensure that in your training blocks, you are, it, they, over time, they're getting progressively harder and harder and volume is an easy way to do that. If, if your uh, high volume phases are a bit higher than your, you know, they, they, over time they get a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Um, of course, you only can go so far. And, you know, I was talking with one of the guys that works with me, we also train together that it, it does cap out somewhere, obviously, um, because you can only spend so much time in the gym first and foremost, uh, and your body can only recover from, from, from so much. But that would probably take, I mean, I would think this is just my estimation based on what I know and have seen. I think, I think it's fair to say that it, you have, you probably have 10 years of, of, you can just continually progress in that way of making your training a bit harder. Um, and there is a point though, where it's like, this is it. This is, this is what I've got. This, I, I can't subject my body to more punishment than this. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you even convince people? Cause you talk about longevity quite a bit and you said just a little bit ago, like you have five to eight pounds, which is a significant amount. If you really think about how much muscle that is, it'll take you at least a few years and you're happy about that. But a lot of people get scared at the thought of having to continually try to progress for three, four, five years. When in reality, as a natural lifter, it just takes that long. How do you go about convincing people that this is just what it takes? Um, I mean, I just do it through, I guess there's the information, right? I mean, it just is what it is. And um, that's what a lot of this information is going to be in this article that I, that I just mentioned. And so that, that's just the reality. And I think, and this is just kind of a general philosophy of mine in life. I, I prefer, I actually enjoy facing reality even if it's unpalatable i enjoy facing the truth versus that even if even if i don't like it versus accepting a lie that maybe maybe is is uh feels better and so there's first there's that there's just this is the reality which there are benefits from that because now you can set realistic expectations if you accept a lie 
then you're going to, then you are going to set unrealistic expectations. You are not going to live up to them and you are going to be, be disappointed inevitably. However, if you face the reality of what it's going to take, and really all we're talking about is, is time and effort. That's all we're talking about. Yeah. If you just face the reality of that and then set the right expectations, uh, then, you know, you can be uh, excited with s- slight gains over time. I mean, it's, it's, it, if it's the difference between, Hey, um, you know, I, I gained two reps on uh, a couple of my big lifts this month with the right expectations. That's, that feels good. That's satisfying with the wrong expectations. That's completely unsatisfying. Um, and, and then, so that's the, that's one part of it. And, and then there's also maybe a bit of the, uh, and this kind of comes more into the, my personal philosophy of training is I, it very much is a lifestyle for me. And I really very much sell it as a lifestyle quick fix, either as a physical or an emotional or psychological quick fix. And the reasons to do this are not to, are, should, be, should, be, should be more long term in nature. Let's, let's look at this more holistically um, than just like getting likes from Russian bots on Instagram. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> so, so, so yeah, I mean, again, this is, this is, I, I'm not even done writing this chapter. So I'm kind of still going through the process of working out myself, how I really want to lay it all out. Um, but it's a discussion that uh, it's a good question. And it's, and it's honestly a question, a discussion I haven't had that much because I've focused so much on the fundamentals and then just kind of going off down, going down random rabbit holes that I find interesting. And that just hasn't been one of them yet, you know? Yeah. And I think that attribute that you have, or just like that perspective is what helps you be successful in most areas of your life. And I think for people listening, if they look at athletes or trainers or coaches or influencers or whoever it is that they're aspiring to quote unquote look like, those people usually look at it like a lifestyle and they're usually satisfied with small progressions over time. And they're usually committed to it. Every person that you see who is jacked and looks the way you want to look, they've probably been lifting and doing this and slowly progressing for an extremely long time. Um, So I kind of want to shift gears though, and and dive back into your story and shift into like when you first went from fitness being a hobby or a goal or something you were doing with your friends to being a full-time business. And, And I don't know if it started as a business and then went to writing after that, or if you started by writing and then that kind of subconsciously became a business, but can you kind of explain that transition and evolution for me? Yeah, sure. So it started with um, publishing Bigger Than or Stronger, self-publishing in 2012. It was a nights and weekends. It was just a, a minimum viable product book. Basically, I think it was about 80,000 words or so, 70, 80,000 words, not very big. Stand, might have actually been a little bit smaller, might have been closer to 50,000 words. Um, and I didn't know if anybody would care. It was uh, something that I had heard about Amazon's KDP Kindle Direct Publishing, I think it stands for. It's their self-publishing platform right. because there was a dude named John Locke who was the first KDP author, self-published author to sell a million books. And his story was kind of cool. And uh, at that time, I was at that point where I had gotten lean for the first time and I had been training correctly for a few years and I was looking pretty good. And a buddy of mine was like, you should just take your shirt off on YouTube and sell shit. And, uh, and I was like, that sounds, that sounds awful. I couldn't even live with myself. Uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a YouTube butthole. I just said it on YouTube. Um, yeah, no thanks. And so I was, 
in my previous life, I, I had a, a business that we produced employees, me and a few people, small business, and it produced employee training materials. We kind of niched into healthcare, so doctors' offices, PTs, dentists, and so forth. So I had a bit of experience creating how-to stuff, breaking down maybe more complex topics into um, training materials that uh, the average everyday person could just go through, understand, be able to apply and get results with. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, uh, I'm going to do that, but for fitness and I'm just going to focus on here are the fundamentals. Here's how things work. Just do this and, and, and you will get results. I'm not going to try to go too hard on the marketing. I'm not going to tell bullshit stories like, you know, four hour body shit of, you know, oh, 3am underground secret lab in Honduras with, uh, MIT rogue scientist. It was just <laughs> here, here's the reality. Here's how your metabolism works. Here's how high uh, muscle building works. Here's how your body's muscle building machinery works. Here are the big buttons and the big levers you can push and pull. And um, here's a program to follow and you'll see it'll work, right? And I didn't know if anybody would care. I published it in, again, I think it was January, 2012. And like, I think I sold 20 copies the first month or something. And it was 99 cents too, because I just didn't care. Uh, really, it, there was no master plan. It was one of those very conditional I wonder if this can go anywhere type of things. Uh, and then it sold like 40 copies the next month. And I was just happy that people bought the book. So like, that's cool. Yeah. I put an, e I had put an email address in there in case anybody wanted to reach out, heard from a few people who liked it, had a few questions. Um, and by the end of 2012, it was selling several thousand copies a month and I'd done nothing to promote it. I had, that was purely through word of mouth and Amazon's promotional algorithms and so forth. And I saw there was an opportunity there along the way. I don't remember the exact timeline, but I had published one or two other kind of just smaller trial balloon books just for fun. Cause I was like, eh, this book is selling. Um, I'm just going to write another one. Right. And, um, but at the end of 2012, I saw there was an opportunity. However, I actually didn't want to, I didn't want to take advantage of it. I didn't want to get into the fitness space. I didn't want to become a fitness person because I don't like the fitness space on the whole. Uh, I do like, uh, a lot of, I like what fitness can do for people individually. And I like that everyday people are getting more and more into fitness. And I like to see how it can change people's lives, but I do not like the fitness industry proper. You know what I mean? I do, yeah. I do not like this. I just don't like the scene. There's a lot of, let's just start with obviously narcissism out of control and just way too much unhealthy obsession with the body. Let's just mm -hmm. start there. Um, so I was like, eh, I don't, uh, it's cool that that people like my book and I actually could continue to write books, but I, I don't want to go all in and, and become a fitness person. I really don't. I'd rather create a publishing company and use what I've learned to sell my books and all that I know about internet marketing. And um, I just already had had a fair amount of experience selling information. I'm just going to do that with books. And so I started to go in that direction and recruited a buddy of mine to work with me and kind of pivoted midway though, when I looked at it and was like, ah, there's, there really is a big opportunity here. And I do like fitness. There are things I like about it, obviously. And if I can do it my way, then I'm interested. And that means I'm not interested in sucking up to mentally ill influencers and gatekeepers and people who you have to beg to get a, uh, you know, a foot into the door so you can maybe get promoted on their uh, platforms. Not interested in that, but if I can just create really good 
content, if I can create good written content, and uh, obviously I started a podcast along the way and started doing YouTube stuff. If I can just, because I like to research, I like to write, uh, recording audio and video stuff, I kind of like, I prefer writing. But if I can do that and make a living and make something happen, I'm interested. So that's, that's how it started was more books. That's when I started Muscle for Life in 2013. That launched March of 2013 and it grew very quickly. By the end of the year, it was somewhere around a million visits a month. And, um, and we can go into Legion as well, but I've been talking a lot. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, sometimes I realize like I have some other questions you want to, you want to ask, but that was, that was my on-ramp was bigger than you're stronger. And then I wrote a women's book, Thinner Than You're Stronger, and I did a cookbook and started Most for Life and just started writing articles. It was really just a blog, but people liked, you know, liked the, uh, liked the content. And that was also before, that was when you, you could get more reach out of social media, Facebook in particular, before they just nuked everything and made it yeah. completely pay, pay to play. Um, and, you know, built a big email list early on, which those, those all just become reinforcing feedback loops that, you know, spin the flywheel faster and faster and help you grow faster and faster. Um, but that's, that's, that's how I started. Hey guys, I want to take a brief moment to remind you about the boom, boom elite, our membership site. This is literally the perfect place for you. The reason I know this is because you're listening to this podcast and anybody who listens to this podcast is a go-getter and an action taker. You are a person who is seeking information and education to better your body, better your performance and finally transform your physique. I know this because people listening to this podcast really just seek results. And the one way to get better results is better training programs, but not only intelligently designed programs that actually build in progressions and avoid injuries along the way, but a place that's actually going to teach you how those programs are built. See, a lot of coaches and clients alike have insecurities about what they're putting on the piece of paper. Whether you're programming for yourself or you're programming for your clients, you probably have an insecurity or a lack of confidence in the programs you are creating. You probably question yourself. Are these programs actually going to work? Am I going to get injured along the way? When a plateau happens because it's bound to happen, what do I do? How do I adjust? How do I move through this plateau and finally start seeing results again? See, the Boom Boom Elite is not only a place to give you the programs that avoid these things and actually give you results, have built-in progressions, and make sure that you're not getting injured along the way, but it's a place that's going to educate you on how those things are actually built into the programs. So now you have longevity in your results. You can actually adhere to them because you know what the hell is going on behind the scenes. And you can start creating your own programs that actually work and you have the confidence to know that they will work. So next time you put whatever you put on the piece of paper, you and your clients are confident and feel comfortable and actually believe in the system. Not to mention they're actually going to get results, which is the reason why we do this in the first place. So because you're listening to this podcast, and because I know you're perfect for this, I wanted to take a second to just remind you about the membership site because this is the place that I spend every single day communicating with the environment, communicating with the community about training, about nutrition, about supplementation, about all the things that go into side of coaching. So if you want access to the Boom Boom Elite, click the link in the description below or go to boomboomperformance.com elite and sign up today. And without any further ado, let's get back onto this podcast. Yeah, no, and I, and I love it, man, because I wanted you to go in depth with the story. And I think it's cool because I get a lot of people who uh, ask me for business advice now because we run a successful online coaching and, and content company. 
And I always tell them like, it takes a long time of producing real content where you're actually helping people and not selling them just bullshit. That's going to be a scheme or a quick fix. And it's cool to have somebody of your caliber come on and talk about that because and, and especially because you're still writing. And I think a lot of people are so into podcasting or videos and these different things because that's quote unquote what's necessary or like what Gary Vee pushes because that's the best medium to sell people and whatever. But you're still blogging. You're still writing because that's what you love. And it's working for you because you can see your passion and you can see your transparency through your content. And I think at the end of the day, that's one of the biggest keys for success in this. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's kind of the path you continue to go down is just pushing real content that you actually believe in. Absolutely. And, you know, I would add to that um, a Cal Newport-ism. If anybody doesn't know who he is, he's he's a professor where? At Georgetown or something? He's uh, He also writes books. He wrote a book. I think he actually has a new one out, Digital Minimalism. I haven't read it yet, but he has a, his, his previous book was Deep Work, which I highly recommend. And he also has a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And he got that from Steve Martin, right? So Steve Martin, the famous comedian, in his memoir, Born Standing Up, he shares a little anecdote where somebody was asked his secret to success, right? And his thing is get so good at something that people can't ignore you. That's step one. And I wholly agree with that wholeheartedly, yeah. completely agree with that. And producing mediocre content, for example, I think is not even worth it. If you are not, it doesn't mean that you have, you're not going to be great in the beginning. No, you're going to be bad. I was bad. We all, I read stuff that I wrote just two or three years ago and I hate it. Yeah, uh, and so that's just that's just that's just is what it is, and it's a good sign. That means that you are improving. You sh if if it would I, I, it would be I would be upset if I looked back at stuff I wrote a few years ago and well, I can't improve this at all. That that'd be a bad sign, right? Especially with anything creative, because let's face it, it can always be done better. Always. Yeah. Take take the greatest novels, the greatest books ever written, could be done better. They absolutely could, and uh, so. The, the point though is, you're, especially if you're, if you're going to get into the content game, you have some stiff competition. If, if we're talking about written stuff, um, well, just do a Google search and you'll see what's out there. And that's, that's, that's technical competition, right? So Because there's the whole SEO game that you need to understand if you are really going to go all in on content, if you're going all in on written content, unless you have such a strong voice and you have, such a, you have such unique ideas and interesting and funny things to say that that alone will carry you to success. And very, that's very, very rare. I don't even feel like I have that. Um, I've, you, Wait But Why is a good example of that. What is that? That's Tim Urban and somebody else where they're, they're, they don't have to write for SEO because they have done such a good job writing. Just they, they can make anything interesting. I think it's two guys that write together. Um, Anne Lamott is another example of a famous author who can write about literally anything and you want to read it because she's just that good. That is, that's something to aspire to for sure. I think that's like one of those Zen perfection ideals that you're just never going to achieve. And I, that, that applies to me as well. But we, you can definitely get very good. You can, and, and that is, that just takes a lot of study and a lot of practice and a lot of time and a lot of bad work while still remembering what good work looks like, still maintaining your standards and just inching closer and closer toward them. And so to your point, yeah, it takes a lot of time to get really good. And if you don't enjoy writing or speaking like recording podcasts or videos, you're just never going to get there. It just takes too much time. And it also takes too much mental 
energy, too much focus. It takes creativity. And that is its own, you know, there's, that's the whole, you, you've probably, you probably know about the war of art, right? Stephen Pressfield, Absolutely. the whole concept of resistance. That is create creative endeavors uh, produce more resistance than anything else. A lot more than just, you know, work. We go in the gym, we do, we do work. That's just work in the purest sense, right? There's no creativity. You don't, you just have to get up to the bar, pick the fucking bar up and put it down. You know, that, that energy could be uh, measured, but to write a really good book or a really good article, it requires a different kind of work and it requires a different kind of mm, uh, perseverance, I guess you could say. Yeah. And so if you don't enjoy that, it doesn't mean you enjoy it all the time. Yeah. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's annoying. And sometimes it, you know, you don't get as many words as you want down and things never quite sound right. And sometimes you don't really enjoy, I mean, this is for myself. Sometimes I don't really enjoy the process of writing for the day, but I enjoy having written. I enjoy looking back. Hey, I had to squeeze those fucking thousand words or whatever it is out just letter by letter, but I got them out and I feel good about that. And it takes a lot of that to get good enough to stand out. And, and I'd say that applies to any, any, uh, any endeavor really that if there's any sort of, if you're doing it for any other reason than just your satisfaction, that's just what it takes. And uh, let me take business, right? So I have, a lot of people ask me also for advice and so yeah so it's so to just to get to a business to a million dollars a year in revenue which sounds cool but when you really look at it um that depending on the on the profitability of the business that may not even be a good bit that may not that, that business may be worse than just having a job right how much are you spending to get there Exactly. And also, what is it requiring of you? How much yeah. time is it requiring? How, much, how many headaches is it producing? Uh, how, how stressed are you about it? And, I mean, that's, a, that's a, a different topic where sometimes I, I know people loosely, I don't know them well enough to be able to share this kind of, I don't know, I just feel like I would like to be fully honest, but I don't think it'd be productive. I don't think it would be taken the right way where there are some cases where I'm just like, the best advice I feel like I could give to this person is get a job. Just yeah. stop, stop wasting your time. Not everybody is built for entrepreneurship and that's totally fine. Not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. There's nothing wrong with having a job, especially a job that allows you to focus on getting so good at just one thing, a commercially valuable skill that you can get paid a lot of money for. That would be way better than trying to spin 92 different plates in a, to, to live a, internet entrepreneur lifestyle it's like the it's like the it's like the meme that's going around with these fired journalists learn to code yeah learn to fucking just get good at one thing uh, and and then you could just you could you'd be so much better it's like you know think a, a bit a bit a bit more laterally um but uh, anyways to, to to build a million dollar business i mean what's the what's the statistic on that one percent of businesses maybe that that ever make it there it might even be less than that yeah and to, to get to 10 million, it's like a fraction of a percent. Uh, 10 million in annual sales, it's a fraction of a percent of businesses that are started 
get there. So to have aspirations, it's cool to have a goal to say, I want a business that does $10 million a year. And yes, if that business is, is even remotely profitable, now you're talking about a, a death plan of lifestyle and whatever, right? Um, however, what you are saying really is it's the equivalent thing. I want to be a professional athlete. I want to, you know what I mean? It's, it's the, it's the kid who just started playing basketball. He's like, I'm going to make it to the NBA. And statistically speaking, no, you're not. It doesn't mean you're not, but realize what you are saying, realize that to do that, you, it's going to require everything, everything. It's like what Tom Brady said in that Tom versus time documentary on Facebook, right? Where I'm just paraphrasing, but he was saying that he's given everything to football for the last 20, 25 years. And if you want to compete with him, you better be ready to give your entire life because that's what he's done. Yeah. And that's what you're, that's what you're up against. It's just the same thing in the business sector. So it's completely delusional to think that you're going to reach. And I don't mean to say you personally, I'm just saying, I just had so many of these discussions. I'm just kind of ranting to think that it, Oh yeah, I can, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to reach that, that top tier pro status business person, you know, uh, uh, level, yeah, working 30, 40 hours a week. And I don't really educate myself. I don't really read books and I don't, you know, I just, uh, it, if I just work hard by what my standards are, I'll get there. No, never, never. Unless, unless you just stumble on, okay, you, you thought of Snapchat. Good for you. Yeah. But if it's a traditional business, never. You better be willing to fucking suffer because that's what it takes. Yeah. And and you have to like going back to what you said about the creative process, you actually have to enjoy that. Like if you're only creating content assuming it's going to get you sales or clients, it's not going to be good content and you're it's not going to go viral or get you noticed or do anything productive for you and your business to be successful because like you said, like you have to be so unique to get noticed unless you're just producing mass amounts of amazing content. And inside of our industry, from a longevity standpoint, it's really hard to be extremely unique because the reality is, is this shit's pretty basic. Like you have to do the compound movements. You have to eat this way. You have to hit your macros. Like it's more about adherence and being relatable and, and delivering that in a very good approach over time, like you have done, like I have done. And that's what's going to lead to that long-term. So I'm really glad that you kind of shine light on that. And, and because you're talking about what it really takes. I kind of want to get your take on balance. You know, I've said a couple times that balance is bullshit. And, and what I mean by that is it's impossible to balance your time perfectly. Like you just said it about your week. Like the reality is, is if you're going to be extremely successful, you're going to have to spend a lot of time doing what you want to create. And there's going to be stress and there's going to be a ton of fucking work involved. And Kobe had something that he talked about very similar to what you just mentioned with Tom Brady about how much he's sacrificed to get where he wants to be. And if you're going to beat him, you have to sacrifice that too. So I'm just curious about your life. I'm assuming you've had your own issues or own struggles with balance because most successful entrepreneurs have. What is your take on balance and, and where are you at now, now that you've created what you've created? I mean, I'm with you. I think uh, the idea that you have to have your work-life ba uh, balance uh, perfectly calibrated at times is a fool's errand. I think you can choose, Ray, I think Ray Dalio said it well in his book, Principles, where he was saying you can, basically you have a, a spectrum here. On one end of it, you have making a difference. And through that, he was, the context was work, right? Like doing work that really is gonna get out there in the world and make a difference, do something, right. doing something big, doing something meaningful, or savoring life on the other end of the spectrum, right? 
and you, you can't have them both. You just can't. And he now is, was he explaining in his book is he was on the, on the make a difference and hard uh, end of the, of, of, of the spectrum, really at probably at the, the very end of it for a long time. And now that he has accomplished everything that he really wanted to accomplish uh, in terms of, I'd say for him, I'm sure it goes beyond financial success, but work. And he really has executed on his dreams that he had decades and decades ago. Now he's coming back to the other end. And now he's intentionally uh, going, deciding to, to save her life more, right. And work less. And he talks about why in there and, and it's, it's understandable to me. So I think instead of thinking in terms of, Oh, you have to have work life balance because for me personally, uh, what does my version of that look like? Well, I mean, I'll just tell you. So I get up at five 45 or six every day and I go into, I have an infrared sauna and I go in there and I read for the first, I'd say 45 minutes to an hour uh, of the day. And then I go to the gym after that. So I, I usually, that's when around seven or so is when my family, my wife and my kids are waking up. So I, I say hi and usually help my son get dressed and play with my daughter a little bit, whatever. And then I go to the gym. I'm there by 7.30, 7.45, work out for an hour, come to the office. Uh, I'm here and I don't go out. I don't go. I, I eat lunch at my desk. I don't like, I just, I just go. When I'm here, I am working and literally that's it until an early day. I would, and I rarely leave before seven. Sometimes I'm here until eight, uh, go home. And depending on the time, if my kids aren't already in bed, I'd say half the time they're not. And I'm help, I help get them ready for bed. Sometimes I have to cook them some food. Uh, my daughter's a handful. So my wife is usually handling my daughter and, I, and, I, and my son is easy to take care of. So I just, uh, you know, get him ready for bed, make myself food, eat by that time, by the time the kids are in bed and I've eaten and taken a shower, it's usually nine or nine 30, spend some time with my wife, 30, 45 minutes and go to bed. That's it. Every single day without fail. Like rarely do I ever deviate from that. Uh, if I can, if I can help it, I don't. And on the weekends, um, I'm waking up. Usually I just naturally kind of wake up around the same time. Maybe I can get another hour depending if I, if I go to bed at 11 or so, that's late on the weekends. I can maybe sleep uh, until closer to seven, but my, it's, I'm so, it's so kind of ingrained in me physically that I tend yeah. to wake up at the same time, regardless of when I go to bed, which is kind of annoying, honestly. Um, and, and I, I, again, start the day the same way. If my kids are not up, I'm in the sauna reading. If they are up, I'll spend some time with them. Um, and then go after, and Saturdays I do a little bit less work and previously I would just work all Saturdays. So it'd be like, kind of like a same start work somewhere around eight thirty or nine. And I would end around dinner and then nighttime spend time with my, with my wife and one kid at the time. And now it's a bit more, I put a bit more time on Saturday. So that's, there's my version of balance a little bit, right? It's making sure that I spend some time with my kids and we do something fun on Saturday. Um, and I get that kind of an analogy of, of speeding versus driving the, the speed limit. You know, when you really look at the numbers, speeding just doesn't make sense. Like you don't really get any, you don't get anywhere that much faster by going 15% over the speed limit, yet your chances of getting a ticket go up by, you know, 500% or whatever, right. uh, or, or go up. It's not even calculable because if you're following the speed limit, you won't get pulled over. Um, so, so, but it, it feels more emotionally satisfying to speed. If you're hurry, like, oh, I'm getting, even if it's just 10 miles an hour faster, you feel like you are getting there faster when yeah. you're not really. Yeah. Um, and so similarly with work, I, that's why I do keep that in mind and that it doesn't, 
what am I, what am I giving up if I were to not spend, let's say it's four hours or so. Cause I do work on, on Saturdays. You do a few hours of work almost every Saturday. But if I'm, if I were to, if I were to work, um, let's say I'd put in eight hours and miss out on that time with my family over, does it, how much does that extra four or five hours really matter per week when you really start looking at it? And then what am I sacrificing for it to spend basically no time with my kids and my wife? That means my marriage goes to shit. It's just not worth it when I can put that time into it and, and then keep, keep things working basically. Um, and so Sunday is a repeat of Saturday, although I just do more work on Sunday. Sunday is usually six to eight hours of work. And outside of that, it's uh, either stuff with my family or just something for fun. Like I like to go to the bookstore every few weeks and see kind of what's new and just, I don't know, dirtle around. Or um, when, it's, when the weather's nice, maybe I'll golf with one of the dudes that I work with. Um, or go to the, go to a gun range. Like I'm getting, I wouldn't say getting into guns, but I want to get more trained with guns. Um, because I own guns, I figure I might as well get better with them, right? And um, so that's it. That's really, and I just rinse, repeat every week. And that's my version of, of balance. And a lot of people would be like, uh, where's your social life, dude? Yeah, I don't have a social life. I don't care. Like, it's doesn't, it, it doesn't mean anything to me right now. Um, I am very focused on what I want to achieve professionally over the next three to five years. I have a three to five year plan, uh, which I recommend that everybody have, not just for their business is but their lives personally in their romantically um and that's what i intend to do so for me i judge more i i i admire when people do what they intend to do i don't it's maybe if you say that plus doing things that make other people happy that you are alive you combine those two things and that's for me that's about as good as you're going to get at least I think in, in life, did you do at the end of your life? Can you say you did what you intended to do and people were happy that you were alive? Good on you. I think you lived well. And so for me, uh, I'm very clear with what I am intending to do. And that's when you break it down into, you start at the top with a goal, with a vision, and then you go down and go, okay, um, why? All right. You have those things nailed. And then you start looking at a plan, right? What really we're talking about is like systems kind of thinking, what's the system I need to put in place to make that a reality. Um, and then once you have a broad kind of strategic plan, here are my bright ideas on how I'm going to do that. Now I have to get down to the nuts and bolts of actually executing. Uh, when you lay all that out for me, that's what it requires. And quite honestly, I, I do think what I'm doing now is going to get me there in the time frame that I want. I'm, I think it's, it's, I'm cutting it close though. If I were, if I were not married and I, you know, if I didn't have a family, if I didn't have that responsibility, I would just work more for sure. I would be putting another 10 or 15 hours a weekend because then I would be very certain that I am not misestimating the amount of effort it's going to take to do what I intend. Um, but I've done my best trying to get, you know what I mean? Like I've done my best trying to maximize all my time to uh, do what I, what I intend. And, and that is very much focused again on, on professional and career. And then right behind that would be my family and everything else I could really give a shit about right now. Well, and I think the big key there is, is you're very clear, right? A lot of people don't have clarity on what they want and they let comparison and judgment of others kind of cloud their vision or cloud what they're going to do. So 
they may want what you have, but they're not willing to sacrifice because they're so worried about what other people fucking think that they don't make the decisions and the sacrifices needed to actually accomplish that. Like you clearly have your priorities set, your schedule set, and you're sticking to that. And even if your friends want to go have a beer on a Thursday, you know that that's not part of your plan. So you don't even try. I, I don't get the, I don't get those texts ever. <laughs> <laughs> but you've made that clear, right? Like you're very clear on your mission and that's why you're successful. And I think that's where people lack the most of is at the beginning, you have to create that clarity because none of this is possible if you're not just extremely fucking clear on what you want and where or and how you're going to get there. Absolutely. And to the point of what other people could think, I, I genuinely like people. I like interacting with people. I like having conversations like these. I mean, this is me just kind of monologuing, but if we were having a, if it, that's, that's what we want for a podcast. But like, I like speaking to, I like engaging with people. I, I like people, but at the same time, I don't care whatsoever what they think about me, what they think about what I'm doing, what they think about my ideas. I'm open to, to feedback. I mean, I guess I, I'm trying to work this out for myself because I've, I've, I've thought about this, that it's not that I'm antisocial. It's not that it's a, there's not a hostility, like fuck people and fuck them all. Um, and uh, it's not, it's not that. And I'm open. I actually genuinely enjoy getting people's feedback. I genuinely enjoy constructive criticism. Like I still, I still see every negative. I look at every negative review that my books get on Amazon. Cause I've gotten a lot of great feedback from, from that. Um, not so much recently the, I don't get that many bad reviews and the ones that I've been getting recently are just like, ah, I hated it. Okay. That's not very helpful, but there every once in a while, there's somebody takes the time to write a review that is actually helpful where they go, you know, I like these things, but I really did not like these things or I think this could be really improved in these ways. I'm like, fuck, it's a good idea. Make a note. That's how primarily how I have gone about producing the these iterative editions of my books, most of it is just based on suggestions from readers and uh, constructive criticism. So I'm, I'm, I'm open to anyone's ideas. I'm open to really hearing anything. I don't get offended by anything. And even personally, like if somebody wants to say, I think you're a fucking dick and this is why I'd be like, really? Mm, tell me about that. Um, and, but at the same time, there's a point where I don't give a shit what people would think about. Like if they, there's, I don't know. It only goes so far with me. You know what I mean? Like their ideas, I'm open to their ideas, but at the same time, I very much have my own ideas and I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy to change my mind and I'm happy to uh, think with other people's feedback and ideas, but only to a point. And when it comes to just kind of judging uh, me or criticizing just generally what I'm doing or, or um, yeah, I guess just react to, reacting negatively or positively maybe what it comes down to i know i'm kind of just speaking in circles because i haven't i haven't really thought enough about this to like get the right words out but maybe it's that i just don't care whether people give me applause i don't care whether they admire me or not i am doing like in my work my own applause means more to me than other people's and and i think that 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 point of people being afraid to do things because of what other people might think um, let's face it. Most people can't even live up to their own standards. So who fucking cares what they think about you? Who cares about the standards that they might push on you? Most people, their lives are complete messes. So what does it matter? And again, I, I don't, I don't like to think like that, but that's really what it comes down to for me. If it, if we're going to, if I'm going to go 
really had face to face with somebody who's like, I'm really going to, I really have some things to say about the way you're living and about your idea of work balance, your, you know, uh, your overachieving ways. I'd be like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. I don't want to be you. You don't want to be me. Let's just uh, agree on that. So, um, again, I just think that there's, there's probably a good lesson in there. Of if you can, if you can, if you can not, you can really just distance yourself from that desire to be accepted, to be liked, to be admired. It's probably healthy. Yeah. No, I think, and I, I've said this a couple times to some like clients of mine. At the end of the day, we're alone in this life and in the universe. And I think if you can just understand that and get clarity on who you are, what you want, and that nothing else really fucking matters. And if you treat yourself the right way, if you do the right things for yourself and your mission and your passion, your life, everything else is going to work out. And the people who are okay with that and accepting of that are going to come into your life and be a party life. And that's all that fucking matters. Like everything else is kind of irrelevant, but I'm glad that you can come on the show and, and really give like a very raw and real approach to entrepreneurship, your life, and really like share some of your thoughts and, and things because it definitely took a turn that I wasn't ready for, but I'm really excited for the people to listen to because I would easily say 60 to 70% of the people listening to this podcast are all fitness professionals and trainers and coaches and things like that. And I think they need to hear this stuff, man. So I really appreciate you being able to be candid about all that. Um, and before we wrap up, I do have one final question for you. It's a personality question I do with all my guests. Um, and now I'm actually really excited because you're a fellow writer. I'm excited to hear your, uh, your response to this. But the situation is that you were at a dinner table and you have three empty seats in front of you. You can put anybody in those chairs to eat dinner with you, but they cannot be friends or family. They can be alive or dead. Who is sitting at that table with you? Hmm. Will Durant. Um, uh, who else? Theodore Roosevelt. Mm. And... Alexander the Great. Oh, I love that one. That's a good one. I haven't heard that. You know, you know what's funny is we get a lot of random answers. I've had Hitler three times, surprisingly. A lot of guys always say Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was surprised. I actually had uh, – do you know who Lauren Conlin is? Uh, I know. I think I've spoken to her. I know of her. I think okay. I've met her before. She said Hitler yesterday, and I was shocked. But she was one of the people that said Hitler. That cracked me up. But, man, a lot of guys always I mean, say Arnold sure, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I personally don't. I guess maybe I'm, I'm not well-versed in, uh, in, in Hitler's ideology, so I don't know <laughs> if I'd be able to have, like, that no. interesting of a discussion. I mean, he, I guess it would be interesting just from a historical perspective. But uh, maybe I'd have to read Mein Kampf first or something. But at least I could ask him some interesting questions. Yeah. No, I love your guest, man. I think that would be an awesome roundtable. So, dude, thank you so much for coming on the Julius show. Julius Caesar would be number four. That would maybe be he might, one. Yeah, he might, he might take the place of Rosa. Anyways, yeah, if I got have a fourth, it'd be him. <laughs> I love it, man. Where can everybody find your stuff? I know muscleforlife.com is a great place. I'm going to link everything in the show notes. But if there's anything upcoming that you're about to release or anywhere people can kind of go check out your content, it's amazing. Um, now's the time to kind of shout it out. Yeah, so Muscle for Life is is a great hub. Um, if people want to check out what I'm doing on the supplement side of things, that's Legion Athletics, L-E-G-I-O-N athletics.com. And as far as new stuff, um, the, the, the big things are, I just released protein bars that I'm super excited about because they're very, very good. That's uh, over at Legion. And then also I have new third editions of my books, my kind of flagship books for men and women, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, and Thinner, Leaner, Stronger coming out. 
hopefully in February. It's going to be February, March, and I'm really excited. I'm very proud, actually, of, of those. I, I put a lot of time and a lot of work into them, and I've my goal going into those books, honestly, was I want to try to produce the best fitness books ever, ever written for men and women, and that sounds pretentious and uh, grandiose, but that was honestly my goal, and the, the market will tell me if I did that, but I can definitely say that they are the best fitness books that I am currently capable of writing. I mean, I went all out. There's a, I forget who said it, but somebody smart, uh, it was a, a writer said that uh, it was something along the lines of like, this book could have been good if only the author was willing to suffer a bit more. And I feel like, I feel like I reached that point, you know, when you've gone through so many drafts and I recorded the audiobook myself, which is a pain in the ass, literally. And it, it was, cause it's a fairly long, these are long books. I think yeah. it was 70, 70, 80 hours in the chair reading. Jeez. And, and it also, that served as a final draft too, because no matter how many times that's actually a good writing tip that um, anybody who's a writer, I recommend is somewhere in your draft process, read what you've written out loud. And if you want to take it a bit further, have someone else read it to you and watch them. If they if they get stuck in certain points, if things don't flow, they stumble. Yes. Um, so, but reading your own stuff is really good. So recording the audiobook also served as a final draft, which was just trying, you know what I mean? Cause you're trying to, you're trying to get through this thing. It's the, it's 140,000 word book, each of them. And, and I'm reading and I'm like, mm, no, I want to change that change it, you know, on, on the tablet, because uh, it's all, all the chapters in Google Docs. So make edits. Yeah, I like that. Rerecord. Um, anyways, my point is, uh, they're, they're definitely the best books I'm currently capable of writing. So I'm pretty excited to get those out and get people's feedback. We'll, we'll definitely promote those, man, because we're big fans. And, and I literally give that advice all the time because the way somebody reads something is way different than the way you write something when you're sitting down and writing. So it's always best to, to read that stuff literally out loud. So I, I'm glad you mentioned that, especially coming from somebody who writes so much. I agree. That's a good so, tip. Man, thank you again. I really do appreciate it, man. And we'll have to catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.